And hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Narrative Live. We are covering Trump under arrest tonight. You can absolutely mark June 13th, 2023 in the history books. It's the first time a former U.S. president has been under arrest, booked in a Miami courthouse today on a 38-count indictment that alleges the unthinkable, really, when you think about it, a United States president committing espionage and then lying repeatedly to cover it up. Now, the news reports that you've been seeing all day and all the week, in fact, or last week at least, have been calling this the documents case, have been calling it the docs case, have been saying it's everything but the espionage case. But tonight we're going to show you why it really matters that we call it an espionage case, because that is what it is. And we'll explain that to you throughout tonight's show. This is the first time, of course, a U.S. president has ever been arrested in a federal case. Trump pleaded not guilty, as expected. He sat visibly agitated, flanked by his attorneys. His body man, who's also accused in this particular conspiracy, Walt Nauda, was also in the courtroom today. Judge Jonathan Goodman presiding imposed communication restrictions between Trump, Nauda, and the other potential witnesses. No cameras were allowed in the courthouse today, of course, which meant we could only find out about what happened from the reporters that were inside. One of those reporters was MSNBC's Garrett Haig, and here's his report from outside the courthouse. In fact, Mr. Trump sat with his arms kind of tightly crossed in front of his chest, only really leaning over to speak to his attorneys from time to time. He did not personally speak a word in public in the courtroom. It was his, uh, I guess, now lead counsel in this case, Todd Blanche, who entered a not guilty plea on his behalf. Uh, beyond that, the bulk of what was nearly an hour-long hearing today was spent discussing the conditions of Mr. Trump's bond and release, which was basically what we referred to as a personal recognizance bond. No cash, no restrictions on travel, either international or domestically. Uh, the only restriction placed on him, not actually something requested by prosecutors, but rather requested by the judge, saying no contact about the case specifically or at all would be impossible given the nature of the job that NADA performs for Donald Trump. And then again, a lengthy discussion about how a no contact order or a no contact about the case order might be put in place with Mr. Trump and all the other people thought to be either witnesses or victims in this case. Mr. Trump's attorneys went back and forth with the judge about the relative feasibility of that where they landed was that the government's going to produce a list of witnesses with whom they'd like to make sure that Mr. Trump has no contact just about the case uh, and then present that to Mr. Trump's attorneys. They'll sort that out and then there'll be no contact between Mr. Trump and those particular witnesses but only about the case. There were widespread agreement that it would not be possible uh, to, to have a blanket no contact order, given that most of the people thought to be witnesses in this case either work for Mr. Trump or work for the Secret Service protecting Mr. Trump. In fact, one of the witnesses is an attorney still employed by Donald Trump. So that took up the bulk of this hearing. Uh, to get ahead of questions I know are coming, uh, no next hearing scheduled, no future date for when Mr. Trump has to appear in court again. Remember, this was a magistrate judge kind of handling the, the, uh, the blocking and tackling the basics of an arraignment, a bond hearing, a first appearance. It'll be, as best we know uh, now still, Judge Aileen Cannon, who's going to take up the bulk of the trial uh, at a date to be set later. MSNBC's Garrett Hake reporting outside the Miami courthouse today. Now, as this case unfolds, the nation and the world will be watching closely, of course. Some analysts are saying that they're concerned about the potential of violence breaking up, not only at the courthouse today, but also across the country, a January the 6th uprising, perhaps. Now, that didn't happen today. There were some protesters outside the courthouse. In fact, Luke Broadwater of the New York Times spoke to MSNBC about this. They were indefinitely present. 
They might have even been present in their thousands, but nowhere near the number of the people they were fearing would show up and certainly no violence today outside the courthouse. The Miami police force said they were ready for up to 50,000 people. They didn't get anywhere close to that. Maybe a few thousand were here. Um, there were a few uh, close skirmishes. I saw some people get nose to nose and a couple times when tempers flared. But for the most part, we didn't see anything that was anywhere close to anything like January 6th. The Trump supporters I spoke with, for the most part, had not read the indictment. Uh, they said they weren't going to trust anything that came out of the Justice Department. They believe Trump was a victim of a deep state uh, attack on him. And they had seen the picture of the boxes in the bathroom. So that had broken through. Maybe not the words of the indictment, but they were aware of that photograph. <clears throat> but they wrote that off saying, well, yes, you know, that wasn't great. But Joe Biden also had classified documents, or Mike Pence had classified documents. They used an argument that other people also uh, perhaps were irresponsible with, <coughs> with classified documents. But I would then bring up, well, you know, but those people, after learning about it, would then, would then quickly reported it and cooperated with the government. And what's alleged here is that Donald Trump didn't cooperate for many, many months and, in fact, worked to obstruct the government, at least that's what is alleged in the indictment, they would say that they didn't believe that, that they didn't, that Donald Trump would have given them back, and they didn't believe uh, the indictment, if that's what indeed it said. They would come up with any argument to defend Donald Trump, no matter what. A couple people explained it to me like this, that to, to them, this is a team sport, and they're going to root for their guy no matter what. They One guy likened it to like a college football game and that the federal government is on the other side. That's the other team, Jack Smith, um, the Justice Department. They're the opponents, and Trump and his supporters are all together. And so they're going to root for their team no matter what. They're going to cheer for their guy no matter what. And they're not going to listen to what the facts are and try to distinguish truth from fiction. They're just going to root for their side. I do find that so interesting, talking about this in terms of sports teams or two sports teams and in college perhaps fighting against each other and you just support your team no matter what. Of course, the situation here is very different because the team on the one side isn't actually on your team. And that's why tonight's show is all about understanding what this case is really about. This case is about espionage. This case is about classified material being taken out of the United States government and potentially being sold or being shopped around to various governments around the world for either money or as protection or who knows what. And that's what we're going to find out later on in this case. So for everyone who's just saying, this is just about documents, this is not just about documents. And it's certainly, of course, as everyone has been pointing out, no comparison at all to what's been going on in the, in the Biden investigation or the Pence investigation. And perhaps as a way to prove all this to you, because I know there are many people who are skeptical about this notion of espionage and a former U.S. president. How can it be that a former U.S. president is conducting espionage when he, in fact, was the president? He is the rule. So how could he possibly be betraying himself? Of course, as we know, Donald Trump has got a bit of a history of all of this. And that's why none of this is surprising to people who, like me, have been at this for a very long time, trying to understand exactly how we were able to get basically a Manchurian candidate was to go back a little bit in time and to review Trump's full-on espionage history. Not just because I'm trying to build a circumstantial case or anything like that against Mr. Trump. Of course, Mr. Trump is going to be found out whether he's guilty or not based on what is presented in court. None of the stuff that I'm about to tell you is applicable to the court case. None of it will be revealed in the court case. 
However, contextually, it's so important to remember the stuff that Donald Trump is basically a Russian asset, not even basically is a Russian asset, and maybe even an asset for other countries around the world. So let's begin by taking you back these old narrative articles on the right there. The first articles that we posted on the website in December 2016 was all about the Russia House is what we called it. And it was about how this new administration seemed to be controlled by lots of people with big connections to the Kremlin. That's being prosecuted in many different ways. And through the Mueller report, was ultimately not prosecuted, perhaps, to everyone's satisfaction. But nevertheless, there were enough indictments and convictions there to prove to everybody that, in fact, there was an element of conspiracy between the Russians and members of Donald Trump's campaign. But specifically, as we started digging deeper into this whole thing, and there's maybe nine or so key points that people need to remember about Donald Trump. Firstly, in June of 2016, we're talking about the summer of 2016, all the way leading up to the election, in November 2016, Donald Trump was ably assisted by Russian operatives of many kind, offering help, some of which he may not have asked for, some of which he did ask for. You'll remember he says, I love WikiLeaks or WikiLeaks. If you could find those emails, let us know. Some of it was just help that he might have gotten maybe unasked. No, when the GRU, the Russian intelligence agency, hacked the DNC servers and then leaked those servers in contents, that all seemed to be a coordinated effort between Roger Stone and the GRU, remember, through Guccifer. So you've got a, an element there right at the very beginning that Russia was involved in electing this man president. And I think that to most people, that is actually factually true still, although some people like to call it a hoax, the former president included. You remember in January of 2017, Michael Flynn, the president's new national security advisor, who had been under some suspicion before of being associated with Vladimir Putin in various ways, now, there he was in, in January of 2017, identified as a potentially compromised a national security advisor, someone who had taken secret documents from the White House SCIF. That takes it a whole other level, but it had removed documents that were classified from the SCIF, and we don't know what happened to them. We also know, of course, that he resigned soon after that, fired really by Donald Trump for this very reason, that he was compromised, that he couldn't do this job because of his associations with the Russians, specifically with the former ambassador, Sergei Kislyak. By the time May came around, you might remember that Kislyak brought his boss, the foreign minister, Lavrov, over to a nice unannounced meeting at the White House. In fact, no one knew about this particular meeting, not even the American press. We had to rely on TASS, the Russian agency, to provide us all the information there. So in that meeting, apparently, Donald Trump, who, who is now indicted, in potential espionage crimes, did another act of espionage, although he was in the White House. At that point, he could declassify things at that point. And so he told the, uh, his two guests from Russia about an ISIS plot to blow up commercial planes. He revealed that to Lavrov and Sergei Kislyak, how nice of him to do, especially when ISIS is considered to be founded by Russia itself. So just in those first few months, you can see from the election campaign all the way through his first six months in the administration, there are enough fact points and events to point out to everybody that Trump has always operated as a Russian asset inside the White House. And so when we now see that these missing documents have been stored in his home with people being able to access it, you need to look at it from that perspective. If he's still a Russian asset, if he's still working for the Russians, or he's still working for that kind of intelligence agency, if it's not the Russians, maybe the Israelis, maybe the Chinese, who knows? Maybe he's a free agent for all of them. 
then perhaps all those documents were in fact exposed or may have been exposed to foreign entities. September 2017, we remember the CIA director at the time, Mike Pompeo, who had undertaken his own visit to visit Vladimir Putin on a separate mission to Putin's very nice dacha in the Black Sea. You'll recall there that the CIA director also brought in two of the intelligence chiefs from the FSB to come and visit him at the CIA headquarters. Never done that before. And then he also was under watch, according to many onlookers. We broke the story on narrative for handing over classified documents to the White House so they could potentially reveal it to their, to their friends in Russia or wherever they might want to reveal them to. So you've got September 2017, then Mike Pompeo again, credibly being watched because of his ties to Russia. June 2018, Donald Trump meets Vladimir Putin in what was the first U.S.-Russia summit in Helsinki. And boy, do you remember that? It's hard to forget that moment. People came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but uh, I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. And what he did is an incredible offer. He offered to have the people working on the case come and work with their investigators with respect to the 12 people. I think that's an incredible offer. Tonight, the president's own intelligence chief, Dan Coach, shot back with a rare rebuke. We have been clear in our assessment of Russian meddling in the 2016 election, and we will continue to provide unvarnished and objective intelligence in support of our national security. But this morning, President Trump blaming tensions on the U.S. and the Mueller investigation. Tweeting, our relationship with Russia has never been worse thanks to many years of U.S. foolishness and stupidity. And now, the rigged witch hunt. Today asked, does he think Putin bears any responsibility? Yes, I do. I hold uh, both countries responsible. I think that the United States has been foolish. I think that the, the probe is a disaster for our country. I think it's kept us apart. It's kept us separated. There was no collusion at all. Uh, everybody knows it. Uh, people are being brought out to the fore. Uh, so far that I know, virtually none of it related to the campaign. And they're going to have to try really hard to find somebody that did relate to the campaign. That was a clean campaign. I beat Hillary Clinton easily. And frankly, uh, we beat her. Putin for the first time who he wanted to win. President Putin, did you want President Trump to win the election? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because he talked about bringing the Russian relationship back to normal. Does the Russian government have any compromising material on President Trump or his family? I did hear this rumor, he said. It is hard to imagine nonsense on a bigger scale than this. And I have to say, if they had it, it would have been out long ago. So that report, of course, from NBC that night of the Helsinki summit where Donald Trump met Vladimir Putin to everyone's astonishment, of course, uttering those words about Putin being so incredibly strong. And of course, the biggest news there was him basically doubting the intelligence community of the United States assessment about Russia's involvement. So you've got someone who would rather side with Russia and its president, believing its intelligence over the intelligence assessment of his own country, of his own community. It's not only Helsinki, and it's not only Pompeo, and it's not only Flynn, and it's not only Roger Stone and the GRU. 
It's also Oleg Deripaska. And in February 2019, Narrative posted our expose on Oleg Deripaska. And we linked him to both the WikiLeaks and Roger Stone and the 2016 election interference. And it was a pretty good argument that we placed about Oleg Deripaska being the sort of the chief kingpin who Putin was trusting in terms of setting up all the election interference. Then in August 2020, the Senate Intelligence Committee, this is probably the most definitive piece of evidence out there. In volume five, the Senate Intelligence Committee describes hundreds, literally hundreds of actions by Trump, his associates, and in 2016, ultimately, how they interfered in the American elections, how Russia interfered in that, getting him elected. It's really an indisputable and very valid document, the Senate Intelligence Committee's volume five. It's 900 and something pages of gripping information, but it's all credible. There's absolutely no doubt after you read that, that you know that Donald Trump was elected because of Russian help. In January 2021, Donald Trump attempted a coup. As you all know, on January the 6th, we reported a narrative about a Russian operative named Charles Bowsman, who is a suspected Russian spy who helped develop all of that, who helped build the, the white nationalist movement in the United States, and who also was seen on that day, on January the 6th, in video streaming live, the events of January the 6th. One of the coordinators they had out here in the building caught on tape, Charles Bowsman. Yet again, more evidence of what I believe is irrefutable proof that Donald Trump's entire presidency all the way to the end, all the way to the coup attempt and beyond has been about Russia, has been about the espionage, has been about the coalition built around Russia as well. Of course, we mentioned China, Israel, Saudi Arabia, UAE, all those countries are also believed to have participated in some way or another in the attack on democracy. But really, the core narrative here is all about Russia. Perhaps the most convincing stuff that we had on was in January of 2021, when we had a former KGB Washington spy chief who worked out of the Washington, D.C. residentura, is how you say it, which basically means the headquarters of a group of Russian spies or a collection of Russian spies in, in the United States. This guy was the head of a residentura in Washington, D.C., and he told... Craig Unger in his book, and also us on Narrative TV, that Donald Trump was a asset for the Russians all the way back to 1983. These guys, they opened this electronic store, and the KGB had to be sure that they're reliable, that they're not double agent. For this, they had to deliver information. And information they could have at this time was the exporter information. And this is how they reported to the KGB in New York State about Donald Trump. Later, it was analyzed and came to the conclusion that it's time to put him in contact with the local field officer, that it's time to establish a direct contact with Donald Trump from somebody from Russian New York residentura. This time to speed up and deepen cultivation. And so who'd made that first contact in 1983? One person we know was the daughter of them uh, ambassador, uh, the head of the Soviet mission at the United Nations. And several months later, he became the Soviet ambassador to Washington, D.C. I strongly believe that she was Russian intelligence officer. The KGB used her to bring Donald Trump on this summer 87 trip. I believe it was a different officer who was uh, meeting Donald Trump under the modus operandi about once a month. Do we know who that is? 
it was Yuri Antipov acting uh, station, but I'm not sure. Or Natalia Dubinina was in her first marriage, and her, as far as I understand, her husband was Alexander Yakovenko. And Alexander Yakovenko, for those uninitiated, is the former ambassador from the Soviet Union and Russia to the UK, and the man largely credited with Brexit and a lot of other advances made by the Russians in British society and in the United Kingdom in terms of developing a, a big Russian presence in the UK, which is still a big issue today. I've been talking so much about the enemies of democracy and how this is about a coalition of countries involving Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, the Egyptians, the Israelis, and others, and of course, Russia and China among those. It, it just blew my mind away going back and looking through all this narrative content that we had at how much Russia there really is and how much it still boggles my mind that so many Americans still think of it as a hoax, that there are still so many people who buy Donald Trump and who buy Fox News and buy Elon Musk's BS that it was a hoax. And that is why I continue to worry about the next election. We are facing an incredible propaganda effort by these countries to really fight the truth. So it doesn't matter what happens in the courtroom so much, although it will, of course, matter what happens in the courtroom. But what will matter is who wins this public opinion war, who gets to control the narrative as much as people like to believe on the left that Joe Biden has the upper hand in that narrative war, it's just not true. You look at the number of people on the Republican base that still think Donald Trump is being hunted down and there's a witch hunt going on. This just is not the case. The thing that's happening is that there is a propaganda effort, unlike anything we've ever seen before, manipulating data, manipulating social media, manipulating our, our influences, manipulating our television networks, and it's basically still providing us with a, an environment where truth is not believed, or at least not believed by everybody, which is why I'm doing the show we're doing tonight, because it's really important that people focus on the espionage piece of this. Yes, I know it's not, it's not being built as that by all the networks. I know that MSNBC was out there calling it the docs case today, and they're the ones who supposedly on the left. It's not the docs case. It's the espionage case. And I'm going to explain to you exactly why it's the espionage case by going through the indictment with you this evening in the next 28 minutes. I hope you'll stick around with me for that. If you're a creator, you pour your heart and soul into your podcast, but post-production tasks can be a real pain. You can spend hours generating show notes, transcripts, and social media clips, and that's on top of editing and producing your own show. It's really quite a lot of work. That's where Podium comes in. Podium is an AI tool designed specifically for creators and podcasters. Now, with Podium, you can generate show notes, chapters, summaries, clips for social media, a full transcript, suggested episode titles, social media posts, and more. And it's all done in minutes, not hours. Podium improves your podcast SEO and overall accessibility. And with Podium GPT, you can even generate articles and marketing copy in seconds. So why not try Podium today? You'll get three hours for free and 50% off your first month. Say goodbye to post-production headaches and hello to more time to create. They have a very special deal for you just for people who are part of Narrative. So it's hello.podium.page question mark via equals Zev. Hello.podium.page question mark via equals Zev. I really do. If you run a podcast or you just like something that summarizes a lot of audio for you, maybe you just want to summarize other people's podcasts. 
This is a great product. The guys at Podium are terrific. If you've been noticing an improvement in our show notes, it's because of Podium. So if you're a podcaster, yeah, that's one of my big secrets is Podium. Check them out and don't forget to use the code. I'll list it in the description below as well. All right, let's get back into this. Let's talk about the indictment. At the very top of the page, you can notice this at number two. It says, over the course of his presidency, Trump gathered newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, official documents, and other materials in a cardboard box that he kept in the White House. Among the material Trump stored in his boxes were hundreds of classified documents. Now, that may just be that he's collecting mementos in a box and he's just keeping mementos. Or if you're a little bit more suspicious of this president, you might say that there has been an ongoing, maybe even premeditated attempt to steal the stuff, to basically to make sure that all the classified documents were going to leave the White House with him so his bosses in the Kremlin could take a look at them afterwards. That's certainly the way I read some of that. Number three, the classified document Trump stored in his boxes include information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs and potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its military attack, and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. These are not confidential classified documents about the budget. They're not classified confidential documents about the healthcare plan. These are not classified documents about maybe you know, development deals we have with countries that we're our allies. These are all documents related to war. These are documents related to the weapons capabilities of the United States and the weapons capabilities of our foreign adversaries, mostly, but other foreign countries as well, plus a nuclear program, plus all the vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies. So you can say these are just documents, classified documents that don't mean a thing, but these are classified documents of very specific nature, designed to educate our enemies about our capabilities and about what we know about them, only if we were going to war with them, only you wouldn't really need all the weapons capabilities or all this other stuff, unless you were contemplating an actual war with the United States, in which case it would be very useful if the former president walks out of the White House with full plans on that. So keep that in mind as you go through all of this. Number five, the Mar-a-Lago Club was an active social club, which between January 2021 and August 22 hosted events for tens of thousands of members and guests after Trump's presidency. And the Mar-a-Lago Club was not authorized. We know that, of course. And then goes through this incredible long list of places that Donald Trump moved all these documents to. From the ballroom, a bathroom with a shower, and an office space, his bedroom, and a storage room. All it might seem like, well, you know, why do we care about this? Who cares? So he moved the stuff around. But why is he moving the stuff around? Note that they include in the same paragraph where they say there are tens of thousands of people there. They also say, hey, he's moving a lot of the stuff around. Was he moving all the stuff around so people could gain access to those boxes is the question I have in reading that. And later on, we find out where the documents were finally their resting spot, if you will. That was very accessible to anyone at Mar-a-Lago. And as we've reported to before here on Narrative, Mar-a-Lago is a hotbed of foreign intelligence operations, Chinese and otherwise, but it seems like a lot of Chinese are there. Mr. Guo Wengi, you remember him? A friend of Steve Bannon. He is a member of that, uh, of that club. Plus there's all these other foreign operas that we've discussed before, Cindy Yang, I think was one of them, all were present there on a very regular basis. So you have to imagine that not only is the Russian community very prominent in that part of the world, but you've also got the Chinese operatives now inside the Mar-a-Lago 
And these documents basically accessible from the pool area is where he finally had it. And what's fascinating in this rest of this indictment is you've got someone who's basically committed a crime. They've got the body or the evidence, whatever it is, but they're going to hide it somewhere and they start moving it around to its best location. And now we're following this body as it's being moved around. Partly you'd suspect it's to hide it from everybody else that he has it. But partly it's, it looks to me like he's moving it around into more accessible places at each particular stop. So that's why reading this indictment is highly relevant for everybody. Never really should, if you can, take time out to just go through this thing because it is full of really interesting things. So let's get into page three here. So the grand jury issued a subpoena requiring Trump to turn over all the documents with the classification markings. And they were going to do that by on March 30th, 2022. So Trump not only kept these documents, he then created this huge lie, right? As you guys know not by now, he instructed his lawyer to instruct another lawyer to sign this certification. He instructed his co-defendant there to move boxes. He was hiding boxes, hiding the truth from his own attorney. Now, why do that? If you've got a box of documents that belongs to somebody else, why don't you just send them back? You can go get them again. You're the former president. I'm sure you can get the, uh, the discretion to go and get them again. The only reason you do something like that is if you had actually use for them. Now, maybe he was just editing all the boxes. But again, why don't you just negotiate that? They'll help you do whatever you need to do. Instead, what we've got here is the president obscuring, hiding, moving these boxes around. It looks like he's keeping them for a reason. What's he keeping them for? And the more we drill down into what it is that he kept, the more evidence we get about what he was trying to do or seemed likely to be trying to do. On January the 17th, only one year after Trump left office, after months of demands by the National Archives and Records Administration for Trump to write all the missing presidential records, Trump provided only 15 boxes, which contained 197 documents with classification markings, leaving a good number out. On June 3rd, in response to grand jury subpoena, they provided another 38 documents. And then on August 8th, pursuant to the court author, or a search warrant the FBI received from Trump's office and a storage room of the Mar-a-Lago, another 102 documents. And those 102 are particularly interesting to all of us, of course. Then it talks about the layout of the Mar-a-Lago club, 25 guest rooms, a spa, exercise facilities, office space, an outdoor pool and patio, hundreds of members and staff milling around there all the time, thousands of guests between January the 20th, uh, 2021 and August 2022. You can just tell how this place was an ideal spot. If you wanted to accidentally bump into something that was left behind for you, no one would be much the wiser for it. The point behind this is that he really had every opportunity to get special dispensation to say, hey, I will, I will look at these later on. So I, if I'm just doing this from my record keeping or I, I want to adjust my biography or autobiography that I'm writing or doing it for whatever for his library, he had all the opportunity to say, I'll, I'll just, can I get back and get these later? We'll mark these off and then I'll be able to edit this myself. We'll create a skiff here. Everything will be great. He didn't do that. He didn't do that, any of that. He hid the stuff. He hid the fact that he had it. He was committing a massive crime. The crime is espionage. That's why he's charged with 36, oh, sorry, 31 counts of espionage. There's a reason that's the charge that he's being charged with. And I, I caution people not to just escape this reality because it's going to be very easy for the right wing to keep saying it's just documents whatever there's no evidence there's nothing here of course there is proof of, of intelligence now the problem is because it's spycraft they it can't show up here it can't show up in the in the courtrooms because it's so meant to be secret but you have to believe 
that there is intelligence information about what these documents were being used for. It boggles the mind that he wouldn't have accepted that or wouldn't have tried to get that because in, in the end of the day, that would have been the right way to do it. So the only other rational explanation for not doing it is the fact that you are just basically trying to steal these documents to use for nefarious purposes. Here's the waiver on number 18, Executive Order 13526, provided that a former president could obtain a waiver of the need-to-know requirement if the agency head or senior agency official of the agency that originated the classified information determined in writing that access was consistent with the interests of national security and two, took appropriate steps to protect the classified information from unauthorized disclosure or compromise and ensured that the information was safeguarded in the manner consistent with the order. Trump did not obtain any such waiver for his presidency. It does look good for Donald Trump in just these initial pages, but where it really starts looking really horrific is here on page eight, and it's going to, or maybe it's page nine. As president of the United States in July 26, 2018, Trump issued the following statement about classified information. You're he, he called this. He said, as the head of the executive branch and commander-in-chief, I have a unique constitutional responsibility to protect the nation's classified information, including controlling access to it. More broadly, the issue of Someone else's security clearance raises larger questions about the practice of former officials maintaining access to our nation's most sensitive secrets long after their time in government has ended. Now, I believe this was about Clapper, the former CIA director, who was bringing out information from his time with the CIA. And, and uh, Mr. Trump has, was offended that it was critical of him. And therefore, he was shutting down Mr. Clapper's access to all this confidential information. So it's not like he wasn't aware of what, what was going on. He knew exactly what the rules were and how he was about to break them. And break them, he did. The boxes arrive, and the first thought in this, I guess you'd call this the white and gold ballroom, or at least that's what they called it, the white and gold ballroom. So on this particular slide, you see the photograph, and I find these photographs so revealing because this isn't a ballroom when they have events. Maybe they weren't having events that day, but for a large amount of time, it looks like January 21 to March 15th, 2021, it's almost two months, these classified documents belonging to the United States people found their way into this ballroom. There they were, January 21st to March the 15th, sitting in, in a really just, can you imagine the secrets of your country being put out in boxes like this? It looks like a Staples. Staples actually looks more secure than that. And what's that at the back of that big circular thing? It makes me wonder what that is. It looks like it's some sort of bingo uh, stage prop that they've also got from their events there. This tacky looking place that, that Mar-a-Lago is. But anyhow, March 15th to April 5th, they need, the bus they need the white and gold ballroom. So they decide to move the same boxes now to the business center. And the business center is not ideal because by April 5th, they are asked to move again. And so the, it's just remarkable how many times these classified documents, which are so important to keep them secure, that people in this country and know where they are time, and they're being moved around from place to place, and it's crazy. Finally, they go on April 5th, 2021, to the bathroom and showers at the Mar-a-Lago Lake Room. And then ultimately, they found their way to the storage room. Now, as we'll show you in just a few minutes, that storage room it's very accessible to everybody. It may look like it's a sealed off room, but it's actually very accessible to everybody from the pool. Anyone who can go to Mar-a-Lago can basically get to that storage room. And here is another area of that storage room. The New York Times, a very amazing 3D visualization of Mar-a-Lago, which I, it takes us on a nice little trip inside. So 
Let's take a look, shall we? This is Mar-a-Lago. You come in for over the top here. You'll see that we'll land up now looking at the pool area from the back part of the property, the ocean. You can see that the Trump family has their suite there that's highlighted now in that brown color. That's where Donald Trump and his family live when they need to. Now they're lifting up the main part of Mar-a-Lago to show us where the storage room is in the basement. And they're in the basement, or at least in the first floor, but it certainly looks like it's underneath the main building, is the storage area in question where they kept all these documents. Now, not only is this, you know, not healthy for the American secrets to be stored there, such huge American secrets, but both of these doors, these arched doors on the sides of the pool, each of them leads to that storage area. So it's very easy, incredibly easy for someone to, who might be there at an event, to just pop into uh, one of these doors, pop through this little passageway, and then find their way all the way to these documents stored in the storage area of Mar-a-Lago, where Donald Trump ordered them moved. And if that, that to me is a fairly frightening set of events, because as the New York Times points out, not secured by any lock at all. And then you'll see on the, in just a second now, hopefully you'll see that there were a lot of events that took place just outside. And then with access to this pas passageway, this circular passageway, Anyone could have walked in to gain any documents, make copies of any documents, you name it. There's the awning outside the white and, and gold ballroom, just meters away from that, from that arch. So while Donald Trump was holding court, absolutely anything could have happened inside. And no doubt, some of these documents may have been accessed. It certainly looks to me like that's likely what happened. Let's see if we can just quickly finish up here the chain of possession, and then I'll show you what I'm really building up to. This is an incredible picture here of what happened when one of these documents or one of these boxes fell over. This is how they were kept. This is the nation's secrets. There's some classified markings on some of these that have been disappeared. The rest of the indictment goes through the lies, the cover-ups. I have no time to go through that with you today. So read it. You'll get a gripping account of how Donald Trump lied about everything. This is a foreign asset stealing our documents for whatever purposes he was then going to use them for. This is not the former president of the United States who's a true American patriot accidentally walking away with documents. This is anything but that. And then you look at here at page 18, where it says at the bottom of the page, nothing about boxes. He knocked out two boxes yesterday. So what he means here is that he was going through these boxes. This is his Walt Nardo talking to another assistant there. They were going through the boxes and basically figuring out what material he wanted to keep and what he didn't want to keep. So when he knocks out a couple of boxes, it means he's gone through them, kept all the stuff that he wants to keep, and returned the rest. In some cases, it didn't return. In fact, at one point, Walt was left with 64 boxes out of the storage room, returned with only 30. So 34 boxes suddenly found their way outside of the U.S. possession. These are documents that are useful in a war. These are documents that matter to you if you're about to fight a war with the United States. As you read through them here, you'll be able to see that they are mostly military documents. There were 27, by the way, in Trump's office and 75 in the storage room, the number of documents that were not ultimately returned in time. And, and so the top here, you've got a document dated May the 3rd, 2018, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries. A document dated May 9th, 2018, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries. And there's a fair number of them. I tried to match some of them up to what I thought was happening in the news on some days. Take this, for example, on, on January the 6th, this document that was, it's described as top secret special handling, a document dated May 6, 2019, 
concerning White House intelligence briefing related to foreign countries, including military activities and planning around those foreign countries. What was happening in the news that day was that the United States was sending an aircraft carrier as a warning to Iran. So who wanted all this information about the foreign countries and their military activities? Who was he giving that to? Who was he intending that to go to? My guess is that that was a country potentially like Israel, or which might be really interested, or Saudi Arabia might be really interested. Look at this one. This is one that really stuck out in me because I remember this case and being so outraged that we didn't know the contents of this actual conversation that took place. So they pay a, a document number seven of, of their documented date, October 21st, 2018, concerning communication with the leader of a foreign country. Well, guess who he happened to have communication with in a foreign country? That's the day that Trump was expressing his skepticism about the Saudi account of the Khashoggi's death. And but still saying, nobody has told me that the Saudi crown prince is responsible for ordering the death. But I would love it if he wasn't responsible. And then, of course, as later on, he lands up supporting the Saudi crown prince, who is well known to have been involved in the murder of the Washington Post's Jamal Khashoggi. So these are some examples. There are many, many more. And I urge you all to try and do this matching game with me. There's 20, well, there's 102 documents, ultimately. Let's see if we can match them all to the events that happened that day. Because some, for some reason, Donald Trump kept these. He kept, I think, maybe 27 in his office, and those are the ones they really focused on. He kept these for a reason. Who was he intending these to go to? What was their intended target? Which country was eager to get this information from him? And why was he so eager to give it to them? And that's the reason I'm encouraging you all to read this indictment carefully. That's the reason I'm saying to all of you tonight that it really is about espionage. This is not a documents case. This is an espionage case, the most significant espionage case in American history. We've got an American president credibly accused, I think, in these pages of committing espionage against the United States, basically being the Manchurian candidate that we all suspected him to be from day one on narrative. You remember, we started broadcasting on this, on this podcast of maybe five years ago. My, my blog started seven years ago. On day one, I said, this guy's a Russian asset. Be careful of, of him. And throughout the years, people have been somehow convincing others that, that this isn't the case, that this was some sort of hoax, that there was no collusion, there was no obstruction. There clearly was. And now all the way through the entire administration, all the way into his post-presidency, where he's keeping these documents, and it looks to me like, potentially selling them to the global market to the highest bidder, or maybe to use it as some sort of ransom or whatever it is that he's intending to use. What we're seeing here is someone who's breaking the law on multiple fronts, but doing it in the most vicious way to harm America in the most vicious way. And uh, I'm glad for those of you that are still here on narrative, I appreciate you all being here because I know the, the, a lot of people are trying to convince you that I'm not telling you the truth. I, reading these pages, reading these, this indictment is vindication, I think, for a lot of us who have been fighting very hard to convince everyone that there was something very wrong with the Donald Trump administration, and namely that he was working as a Russian asset. And of course, that he also has these, these members of his alliance, the Chinese, the Israelis, Saudi Arabians, the UAE, the Egyptians, you name it, they've all taken a little piece of this. And I think that's what's going to be coming out in this court case. Be careful of these next elections because they're not giving up. They're here for the fight. They're going to be bombarding you at home with daily messages that everything you're seeing before your eyes is not real. They're going to be telling you that you are not to believe anything that you are seeing in court. That in fact, 
the court case, if we ever get to see it, because now it's not even being televised, which it must be televised. Of course it must be televised. Let's say that it isn't televised. Just imagine how little information we're actually going to get from inside that courtroom, how little we're going to find out about where these documents were destined to go or where he thought he was going to send them. So this war for democracy continues to be waged. We're not done with it yet. We have not won it yet. We have one more big battle ahead, and it's next November. And if you're not focused on next November, you should, really should be. This is a, they say this every election. This is a do-or-die election for democracy, but this really is a do-or-die election for democracy. Start getting focused. Start getting organized right now. Make sure that your candidates are the right ones and that you're in the right camp. And, and take a look at this indictment. Really read into it and see how little of this is being communicated to you as a public right now. You have to watch this broadcast to get a lot of little bits of information, context around all of this, to understand what is going on. Thank you for being here tonight. Keep promoting us. It really makes a difference when you keep promoting us. I can't tell you what a huge difference it makes. And when you tell your friends or your relatives about the show, keep up the good fight. This war is not over, and it's certainly one worth fighting for. So for democracy and for everybody else and everything else, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives. Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.